Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Ujima Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Tika Taylor. Today's topic is what causes human suffering. As humans, we are social beings. We live together within families and groups to form communities. We have to cooperate and work together in order to survive. It was necessary to learn many traits, characteristics, and behaviors that promoted unity. We had to acquire important information through thousands of years of trial and error in order to gain the understanding of what is necessary for our longevity as a species. We relied on our innate abilities to guide us along the way. At some point in our history, we realized the need to develop a set of beliefs and values that would ensure our progress. Our self-preservation, a natural instinct, gave us the ability to formulate concepts and ideas that could be used to help us build a cohesive unit. Our biological needs dictated the creation of a cultural foundation on which to establish a viable society. We had to utilize our spirituality and creativity to generate a moral code to facilitate a cooperative social interaction amongst people within our groups. Obviously, when we are engaged in negative behavior, this created some type of imbalancement or disturbance that affected the entire group. After repeated exposure to disruptive acts that created division and friction, our ancestors learned to set boundaries and limitations to restrict any negativity. This morality was passed to future generations for them to follow. Unfortunately, some people failed to receive these important value systems. Others were prevented from receiving this knowledge due to displacement, forced migration, enslavement, or imprisonment. This valuable moral code is traditional, religious, or cultural. Through acts of natural disasters, war, relocation, and other situations, many people were removed from their moral tree. So they had to start from scratch, learning from other foreign sources. As human beings, we learn the majority of what we know. We have the capacity to acquire good and bad information. The moment we are born, the learning process begins. We are exposed to a range of experiences, knowledge, and situations. We develop a shared belief system, values, and principles, which is given to us by different people in our lives. These resources of information becomes our core value system. We use this belief to determine what is good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, appropriate or inappropriate. If we adapt a positive value system, we can make good decisions that will enrich our lives and bring us beneficial results. If we embrace a negative value system, we will most likely make life choices that will be detrimental to us on many levels. Every individual, group, and culture have different values. What's good for one person may be bad to another. However, there are universal values that applies to everyone, everywhere. Whenever these universal values are used, there's always a specific outcome or result. 
Of course, there are always exceptions, but this is consistent and applicable to the majority of people. For example, in every culture around the world, there's a universal value that prioritizes good health. It is a universal phenomenal situation that occurs everywhere. If a person fails to take good care of their physical health or practice poor self-care, they will suffer from some type of disease state. It may be seen it may it may seem like these universal values are a type of common sense practice for most human beings. Even though some cultures have different religious ideology or doctrine, they still have the universal morals that are honored. There seems to be a divine trait or quality that is shared amongst different deities or gods. Let's look at some of the universal laws or values that are practiced in every society. There may be slight variations, context, or implementation of these moral codes, but they're similar everywhere. Truth. What is truth? What is universal truth? Dealing with current facts and representation of true reality. No promotion of lies, falsehood, or dishonesty. It's absolutely necessary to deal in truth to be in touch with reality. Without it, there's an imaginary existence based on illusion. So one of the universal moralities is truth. The next one is love. There's a deep feeling of intimacy, affection, attachment, and contentment that people share with each other that makes them care about the well-being of another. This state of mind includes the following acts, kindness, acceptance, sympathy, compassion, loyalty, support, sharing, and bonding. So we have universal love. No matter where we go, what the society or the culture may be, everyone have some type of universal moral code involving love. Justice. Making sure there is a state of righteousness, equality, and fairness in the society for all. Each individual is entitled to have access to the same opportunity, resources, and treatment, no matter what their differences may be. So justice is another universal moral code. Respect. Having value and worth for each individual and treating them accordingly. Honoring human life and being considerate of them. Admiring someone for their traits, characteristics, or quality. Respect. Respect is a universal moral code. No matter what society we go in, we find respect. Integrity. Having strong moral beliefs that promote honesty, consistency, and authenticity. Living according to one's principles and values. Integrity. The next one is courage. Having the ability to face fear, hardship, danger, pain, difficulty, or grief, no matter the situation, without giving up. Not allowing fear to prevent you from confronting or overcoming personal challenges. Courage. No matter what culture we go in, we're going to find the universal universal principle of courage. Responsibility. The state of accepting the duty or task required. 
doing something that is expected of you for the greater good, taking on a burden or load to complete a job, being reliable and dependable to take the initiative to do something, make a commitment or take an obligation that's necessary, responsibility, that's another universal moral code, sympathy, being able to understand and show compassion for someone's misfortune, sorrow, or pain. Feeling sadness for other people's life problems or difficult situations. Sympathy. The next one is faith. Having a strong belief in something that's not visible, tangible, or physical. Yet, having faith is belief without any evidence, but believing it will manifest. Using intuition and instinct to make decisions. Everywhere we go in the globe, we find that majority, if not all, cultures have faith. That's another universal moral code. Charity. Volunteering to give to the needy or those who are deprived of their basic necessities. Taking care of those who are not as blessed, fortunate, or established. Charity. Freedom. Belief and self-autonomy and self-determination. Freedom, having the ability to make your own decisions and control your own life. Everywhere we go, people value the concept of freedom, self-autonomy. Okay, They don't want to be controlled, manipulated, or restricted by anyone. The next one is work ethics. Having a set of standards or values that make work a top priority using the right way of working to be effective and productive, having a positive mindset concerning work and achieving a goal, having the belief that there's an emotional, mental, and spiritual component to work, using work to improve the quality of life for oneself or family, having a belief that promotes working hard as an honorable trait, perceiving work as reflecting one's strength, character, and morals. No matter where we go on the planet, we find work ethic as a moral code. Self-discipline. Having the ability to control one's thought, behavior, feelings, attitude, mannerism, and mindset in order to achieve specific goals or objectives. Being able to self-sacrifice and self deprive in order to delay self-gratification. Ability to face temptation, fear, or weakness while maintaining self-control. Being able to self-motivate to self-regulate under any conditions. Being able to focus on specific things without being disturbed or lose concentration. Anywhere we go in the world, we find people practicing self-discipline and self-discipline is seen as a universal moral code. Now these universal principles or values are used in every culture and society. There may be slight variations or different versions of these values, but overall these moral codes serve the same purpose. They are used to build a better community where healthier individuals can grow and families can establish positive foundations. These virtues are not to simply be used in religious texts, 
academic work, literary materials, or artistic expressions. They are practical for everyday application in all areas of people activities. They should be utilized in the following areas. These universal codes or universal morals that we just discussed, they can be used in the physical and social environment. Anytime people are engaging, interacting, socializing with each other, these moral codes should be applied. They should also be applied in the political field. So anytime they're making decisions, policies, they're implementing laws, they should include responsibility, sympathy, faith, charity, truth, love, respect, integrity, courage, justice, and other universal moral codes. Now that will make the society more balanced, more healthier, and sustainable. Economic system. It should be used in economic systems to ensure justice and equality. Family relationship. All these moral codes, universal moral codes, should be used within family relationships. Intimate relationships between husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, any type of intimate relationship needs to include the universal moral codes. Business, employment, science and technology, the fashion industry, entertainment field, athletic and sport arena, social media, communication, judicial system. Yes, there should be justice, respect, integrity, courage, truth in the justice system. In the prison system, we should implement these universal moral codes. In the military, in the medical and pharmaceutical industry, education system, religious institutions, and social service. Unfortunately, we now live in a state of moral anarchy and social degeneracy where anything goes without any thought of consequences. There's no more emphasis on common decency, rational thinking, personal accountability, and responsibility. People are not encouraged to invest in positivity or anything promoting wellness and balance. People are desensitized into accepting immoral behavior as the norm. So let's find out how is this immoral behavior manifesting? We see it every day. We see it in the destruction of the family and relationships. Families are totally dysfunctional. They have no more foundation that is based on the universal moral codes. Destabilization of marriage and parenting. We see that, you know, 50% of marriages in the divorce in the United States and around the world, people are not staying married because it's being destabilized because they don't have the universal moral codes as part of their foundation. Parenting, destabilization of parenting. Parenting, they're not using the universal moral codes as part of their parenting style. They're not teaching the children these universal moral codes in order for them to be healthy and to be able to have a moral code to live by. The destruction of gender roles, redefining biological sex, normalizing dysfunctional behavior, 
validating alternative lifestyles, the acceptance of sexual perversion, condoning corruption and oppression, legitimizing insanity and confusion, advocating narcissism and greed, sanctioning human objectification, dismissing spirituality and higher consciousness. So when all these things are happening, we can see the breakdown of society. Now there are thousands of laws written to enforce human compliance with moral codes. We have gun laws, drug laws, hate crime, rape laws. We have all laws to make sure that people comply with the moral codes. <clears throat> Yet people continue to engage in immoral behavior because the societal values are promoting degeneracy. They are being programmed and conditioned to practice a hedonistic lifestyle. Now all the advertisement, commercials, entertainment, storylines, and music are all geared towards the pursuit of pleasure. There's nothing wrong or bad about seeking to be happy. The problem becomes when pleasure seeking is the only or primary goal. When the motive is to indulge in sensuary pleasure, sex, food, drugs, sports, party, and so on, without any consideration of limitations or consequences, then it becomes an issue. This society teaches people to focus on short-term gratification and instant satisfaction. It seems that only pleasure has value and anything that don't generate it is disregarded. People will go through anything to avoid any pain, discomfort, or suffering. Being in a state of bliss is the goal while eliminating all unpleasant feelings. Now, the drug culture exists as a result of some people trying to numb themselves not to feel any pain. They self-medicate on prescription drugs or illegal substance to block out undesirable sensations. The advertisement industry capitalizes off the need of these pleasure seekers to not deal with pain. All products are associated with some type of pleasurable experiences. So consumers are purchasing the material goods not necessarily for its practical application, but for the pleasure that it may bring. The pornography industry is also in the business of selling pleasurable experiences. They have an abundance of sexually explicit materials available to please the sexual urges of thrill seekers for the right price. The entertainment industry, we have sports, music, movies, magazines, and video games, cater to provide pleasurable experiences by keeping the masses distracted with fantasy play. There are many businesses who are part of the pleasure industry that's providing products and services. These people seek individual happiness by any means. Pleasure becomes their choice of drug. It's a form of escapism to avoid facing the challenges of society. Of course, it's a way to not focus on growing up and accepting responsibility. Pleasure seeking is a sign of immaturity and arrested development. These individuals 
did not learn the life skills needed to deal with reality. Also, they don't know how to practice universal moral codes to have a healthy lifestyle. There are positive reasons and motives to engage in life activities besides pleasure. If you're gonna do something, there's other reasons to do it besides pleasure. Let's look at some of the reasons why people do things besides pleasure. Health benefits. You're gonna do something because it's going to benefit you in a way to make you healthier. Whether it's your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, your spiritual health, or your emotional health. You do things because of health benefits. Mental clarity. You do things because you want mental clarity. Self-improvement. Overall, most of the time, we do things because we want to improve ourselves in one capacity or another. Now, as part of the self-improvement, we have personal growth. Personal growth, that's why we do things. Humanitarian efforts. People do things because they care about other human beings and they want to help. Truth. People do things because they believe in truth and they want to promote truth or they want to seek truth. Justice. People do things because they want justice to be enforced or they want to receive justice. Friendship. They want friendship. That's the reason why they engage with other people. They connect, they interact, and they build friendships. Charity. People just do things because they want to be able to contribute something back to people who are needy. Spirituality. People do things because they are spiritual. Now let's give some examples of how some individuals behave when they're not exercising good morality. When people are void of universal moral codes, let's see what happens. They become deceitful and manipulative. They have that come up mentality. They're the hustlers, the players, the pimps, con artists, the users and abusers. Usually these people are narcissistic or psychopaths. Right? This is what happens when they do not exercise good morality. They become psychopaths or antisocial or narcissistic. They take advantage of others, prey on others, using them to provide for their needs. They're parasitic, exploiting other people. They attack people. They have a sense of entitlement. They lack compassion and empathy. They're very demanding. They want what they want and not really take into consideration how that's going to impact other people. They uh, demand respect without earning it. They don't apologize for their destructive behaviors. Usually these people are what we call energy vampires. They drain people. They use people. They just create a mess. You know, they, they take things and are not willing to give anything in return. So, again, these people are usually nurse, nurses, psychopaths, or anti-socials. These moralist people do not have a conscience and live a parasitic lifestyle. They want to enjoy the finer things in life, but refuse to take responsibility or work to achieve it. 
They use other people to create the lifestyle desired through exportation, domination, and control. They have no moral structure or order. Life is without rules. They will do anything to survive, including engaging in criminal acts and fraudulent activities. They constantly take advantage of other people's kindness and consideration. They have no intent or desire to reciprocate in their relationship with others. Just consume resources until it's depleted. The parasitic mindset is created from trauma, lack of love, unhealthy attachment bonds, and absence of good morality. Unfortunately, Western culture condones these types of behaviors. There are certain characteristics that represents this parasitic mentality, such as the following. Let's find out these parasitic characters. Parasitic characters. We have the hustler. People who are hustling to get whatever they want out of life through whatever means. The idea of hustling is not necessarily a bad thing, but it has been associated with criminal activities. It has been presented as part of the underground economy. The drug dealers, the pimps, the cheaters, the thieves, the liars, and users are all called hustlers. These individuals give hustling a negative connotation. The difference between a good and bad hustling is the motive in the means. If you're exploiting, taking advantage, abusing, or using others, obviously it's a bad hustle. If you're committing a crime or doing something immoral, then it's an unacceptable hustle. For many people, hustling has become a parasitic lifestyle. Whether it's used on the streets or in big corporations, it's all about the capital making money. A hustler is always working to find a way to secure capital. Due to the lack of universal morality, human life is exploited, objectified, and dehumanized in order to become a form of capital. Now we're going into another area. We're going a little deeper because when people lack universal morality and they buy into that hustle mindset and their primary goal is just to make money that's a recipe for disaster and that's what we're going to break down right now now this happens frequently within a capitalistic society okay within a capitalistic society humans are viewed as capital, which means they are considered to be an asset that can be used to make money. As we know, the goal of any business is to make a profit by any means. Anything and everything can be used to generate funds. The selling of goods and services is the nature of the trade. The process of capitalism includes the process of commodification which is the transformation of people, animals, plants, nature, and ideas into objects to be bought and sold. In simple terms, everything becomes a commodity to be traded for a profit. Under this mentality, nothing is perceived as sacred, divine, or special. 
there's no exception to this rule. Anything can be produced, packaged, harvested, or used intentionally to make money. There's no boundaries, limitations, or restrictions. Anything or anyone can become a commodity to be placed on the selling block or marketplace. Most people don't really understand the true nature of this type of business. Now, let's look at what is the definition of human capital. It is defined as the skills, knowledge, and experience possessed by an individual or population in terms of their value or cost to an organization or country. In other words, each human being has an economic value assigned to them based on their assets. Remember, an asset is anything that can be used to make money. Human beings have intangible and tangible assets that they possess, such as the following. Let's find out. Now, what are the intangible assets that human beings possess? Educational knowledge, their life skills and experience, talent and gifts. They can sing, they can dance, they can write, they can create something. Their labor, labor, their ability to work, their good health, which enables them to be active. So these are the intangible things that you can't physically touch, you know, things that are produced or given by people. These are the intangible assets that they produce. Now, what are the tangible assets? What are the things that they produce that can be touched? Okay, you have inventions of products. They can make chairs, beds, cars, computers, anything. Providing a service, cut the grass. Creative uh, productivity. They can play music, play an instrument. They can actually produce a painting. Utilizing ideas and concepts to produce items or services. So these are the tangible assets that people can produce. Now companies, businesses, and organizations are willing to invest in their human capital through education and training to increase levels of productivity, which leads to more profit. The group that manages this human capital is the human resource department. They supervise or oversee the workforce or human labor to make sure everything functions to ensure economic growth and prosperity. Now, everything that is provided by the human resource department is to protect their investment. It's necessary to maintain healthy workers in order to continue to make a profit. So health insurance benefits are provided to workers, paid sick leave, vacation time to prevent any damage to their human capital. The business invests a lot of money and expects a good return. If something happens to their human capital, the business would suffer a loss. There are special actions taken to protect this investment. The business has the option to purchase group life insurance policy on their human capital and assign themselves as the beneficiary. This is called the dead peasant insurance, which is a company-owned life insurance used to protect its financial interests. Also, the company can benefit while the worker, the capital, is still alive by borrowing money from the policy or withdrawing funds against its cash value. Now, prior to 2006, 
In the United States, many companies purchase these insurance policies without the worker's consent. The IRS placed restrictions on this practice and required companies to get written consent from their workers' capital before buying life insurance policies. Now, history repeats itself. The practice of purchasing life insurance on human capital was implemented during chattel slavery. The slave owners were allowed to protect their financial interests by buying slaveholders' policies to cover the loss of their human capital. Many financial institutions were involved in this business, such as AIG, New York Life Insurance, Aetna, and 40 other firms. The majority of the slaves who were covered by life insurance were not unskilled laborers, but slaves with special skills, blacksmiths, carpenters, railroad workers, coal miners, and others. Slaves were also used as collateral for loans obtained by their owners. If the debt was not repaid, the financer was entitled to claim the slaves. The loans were used to purchase land, equipment, or other slaves. Before land ownership, the first real estate was black slaves. Many banks, financial institutions, and investors accepted slaves as collateral. These companies owned thousands of human cargo when the loan went in default. Now let's continue and return to modern times. Of course, not all human capital have the same value. Certain individuals or groups are assessed at a higher worth based on what good or services that could be extracted from them. Human capital can also be depreciated in value because of certain factors that reduces productivity and profitability. In other words, anything that prevents maximum benefit becomes a hindrance to capital gain. Now to get the most out of any human capital, it must be in good condition to increase the ability to produce. The value goes down if there's anything that compromises or damages the human capital. Now let's discuss some of the factors that can cause depreciation of human capital. Now physical injury or disability. If a person has any type of medical conditions, sickness, diseases, or some type of injury, as human capital for a company, their value depreciates because they're not able to produce as much because of these limitations. Mental health problems. If a person has any type of mental health disorder, their value as human capital depreciates. Age factor. If they're too young, they're not able to work as hard to produce as much, it's a problem. If they're too old, the elderly, they're no longer able to be as productive, then their value depreciates. No skills, knowledge, or experience. If a human capital, a person, have no skills or very little skills to exchange, they have no knowledge or experience, then their value depreciates. Inability to learn. If they have any type of learning disability, mild retardation, or they're illiterate, they can't read, their value depreciates. 
unemployable, if they have any type of character flaws, bad habits, negative attitude, they're selfish, they're stubborn, they're hardhead, these things will depreciate their value as human capital. If they're lazy, the inability to be consistently productive and progressive, they can't adjust or adapt to change. They're inflexible to schedule. They can only work this time. They can't work, you know, a flexible schedule. That also depreciates their self-worth. Unmanageable life's responsibilities. They can't manage their life responsibilities. They can't come on time. They have too many obligations. Maybe they have too many children. They can't take care of the children. They have too many bills, debt. So that also reduces their value because they're not able to be as productive because of these life issues. They easily get offended or they take things personal. So that could be a sort of like, you know, their temperament. They have a problem with their temperament. And because of that, people may not want to work around them or they may, you know, uh, cause poor morale in the company. So that depreciates their value. If they're immature and irresponsible, that depreciates their value. They're disruptive and problematic, that depreciates their value. If they lack discipline and they have to be told what to do all the time, they cannot think for themselves or take initiative, that will depreciate their worth. So we just talk about all the things that can depreciate people's worth. Now, unfortunately, when there's no implementation of universal morality by all people, the the commodification process is possible. The commercialized use of human beings as commodity is the end result. Chattel slavery was the worst case of human bondage and objectification. It was the classification of human beings as objects to be used for whatever purpose deemed necessary. When a group of individuals or race is removed from the human family, these people are dehumanized in the highest level. These objectified beings were exploited for their labor, which is commodified, sold into slavery. They were commodified for their labors because they could produce, they can work. They were commodified and sold into slavery. They were commodified because of their sexuality. They used their sexuality. They were sex slaves or prostitutes. All right, they commodified their intelligence. They use their intelligence to create inventions, ideas, concepts. They commodified their talents. They use their talents as entertainment in exchange for money. Okay, the slave masters got paid when their slaves performed. They used their musical talent. If they uh, drew something, if they were able to dance, they were able to play an instrument, they commodified their talents. Now time, commodify the time. They use their time for profit. They used to rent their slaves out to make money for them. So when a human being is commodified and objectified, they're exploited, right? This is what happens when people are not practicing universal morality. So the lack of universal morality is why people are suffering. Because if universal morality is practiced, then we wouldn't have all this suffering. Now, unfortunately, the the commodification, commodification process continues in the present. So when we talk about slavery, 
we're talking about something that happened 400 years ago, 300, 200, 150. No, it's still happening today. Now we have the corporations heavily investing in trade commodity. They are literally using anything, goods, services, ideas, nature, personal information, or people to make a profit. And economic value has been placed on everything. Commodities are produced with the intention of being sold to make a profit. When plants, animals, or objects are grown specifically to be sold for profit, they become a commodity. Human beings have become commodity since the introduction of slavery. However, now there's different ways to capitalize off people. So let's talk about modern forms of slavery. Let's talk about different ways that people are commodified in this time that we're living right now. People are objectified. Because they're not practicing universal morality, there is no justice, there's no respect, there's no love, there's no truth, there's no integrity. So because of that, we see a lot of human suffering. So let's break down some of the things that are happening right now that is due to the lack of universal morality. We have human organ trafficking. People's body parts are being sold for profit to prolong life or for medical purposes. Organ transplants and skin grafts for feet. So people's bodies are commodified. Their bodies are broken down into body parts. You have organs eyes, lungs, we have um, livers, you know, all these things are being used. They're commodified. They become an object, a thing to be sold for profit. We have human surrogacy. Women's uteruses are being rented to carry other people's babies to term. So we have some women who have infertility problems. They cannot carry a child. So they're able to commodify another woman's body and use her uterus as a renting space. So that is human commodification. Now human blood. People's bloods are being purchased or donated for profit. Blood transfusion for a feed. So the whole body is being commodified and is broken down to pieces in order for them to get a profit. Now human breast milk. Women's breast milk are being sold for profit. As crazy as it may be, people are selling breast milk, okay, as if they're a cow or they're a goat. Now, human aborted fetuses, aborted babies sold, are sold to researchers, pharmaceutical companies, and laboratories for medical experimentation. Fetal cells used in food industry, vaccines, anti-aging cream, cosmetic products, and they are sold for profit. So human beings Human aborted babies are being sold for profit. Human sperm and eggs are being sold for profit at sperm banks. And people are purchasing them. Now frozen embryos are being harvested and sold for profit. They take an egg, take a sperm, they put it together, artificial insemination, in vitro and then they produce a baby and if they're not going to use the embryo at the time they freeze it and later on they sell it 
So we're talking about humans who are being treated like cattle, like, like pigs and ducks and chickens. So human beings have been commodified as part of the commodification process. Now children are being sold through the adoption agencies for a profit, sometimes to pedophiles who use them as sex slaves. We have international adoption services. We have orphanage and foster care. Okay, again, international adoption services, orphanage and foster care. They sell children because adoptions are not for free. You have to pay for the adoption services. So if you're paying for the children, then you're commodifying them. They become a commodity. Human trafficking. People are being sold into modern slavery for labor camps, the sex industry, or domestication work. Okay, so human trafficking. People are being commodified, used as things for their labor and services. Human hair is being sold for profit. Women want wigs and hair extensions. Poor women sell their hair out of desperation or sometimes the hair is stolen and it is sold for profit. So if the hair is grown to be sold, they commodify the human hair. It is treated as a thing or an object. Human bodies for experimentation of products medicines from pharmaceutical companies and beauty industries. So poor people are allowing the pharmaceutical companies to use their bodies in experimentations because they need money. So they are selling or renting their bodies. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of side effects to these products. You know, they get all type of diseases, all type of problems and disability, short-term and long-term, but they are selling the use of their bodies for the experiments. Now, dead bodies are sold to medical schools, laboratories, and researchers for profit. So, dead bodies are commodified. Human beings, their dead bodies are not seen as a sacred object. It is sold. Sold. Sometimes broken down and sold as pieces or organs but sometimes the whole body is given to medical schools for a fee so the body is commodified now using mummified bodies as medicine you know even after the mummification process people were still using these bodies as if they were things or object now back in the medieval times in europe the egyptian mummies were believed to have healing properties Many people in the royal families, many of the European royal families, would consume mummies in medicines. They believed that it had some type of special property to heal their bodies. Now, we also had human tissue, blood, and skin being used as medicine. Now, human skin is also used to make products like animal skin. You know, they make lamp, lampshades, handbags, gloves, wallets, book covers, uh, shoes, belts, purses, and other accessories. Dead bodies were peeled of the skin to make these items. Now, with modern technology, human skin can be grown in a laboratory to have supplies to make luxury goods. Now, human skin is being used as a canvas to make art. Now. Human skin has been commodified. It's, it's, it's very disturbing that people have no respect, no honor for human beings. Now, vamp vampirism, 
okay they commodified blood vampirism is the drinking of fresh blood that was common in Europe you know people would with with uh, go to purchase blood of criminals being executed the Romans drank the blood of the gladiators they drank them for their life force they believed that the blood had energy and vitality that would sustain their life so the blood was commodified now we just discussed all these things that are being done to the human body and people are suffering because there is no universal moral code now humanity has fallen into a sunken place it's incredible to see the human species operating from an animalistic perspective they're not utilizing their higher consciousness spirituality or intuition there's no more sacredness in humanity anymore human life is devalued disrespected and depreciated when it is commodified and monetized we have been reduced to objects and things for exchange we can see the deterioration of the human mind and spirit spirit as people regress to a barbaric level and digress from a righteous path once an individual is dehumanized the door is open for any person or group to be oppressed abused or exploited we have to go back to practicing universal morality on a global scale to reverse and repair the damage that has been done during the past 2000 years of the reign of terror it's now the time for the great awakening we have all the evidence needed to prove that an immoral state is detrimental to the human race in every area of existence now we don't need politicians religious leaders doctors professors scientists or researchers to convince us of the benefits of modern technology and technological advancements they believe that that's going to propel humanity to a higher level Obviously, accumulating all this technical knowledge and acquiring material wealth have not stopped the declining of modern civilization. Evidently, materialism, greed, selfishness, insanity, corruption, pollution, perversion, and exploitation are unsustainable. If we continue on this destructive path, the human race will become extinct as the family erodes communities crumbles and nations die in untimely death the only solution is reactivation of our spirituality getting in tune with the divinity in ourselves igniting the higher consciousness stimulating not just the intellect but our emotional intelligence using our creativity to build a world of love, peace, justice, and equality based on universal morality. That is what's going to stop human suffering. Human suffering will not stop until we practice universal morality on a global scale.
We need to practice justice, equality, love, respect, integrity, truth. We need to be able to do those things in order for us to raise the consciousness of this planet. In order for us to heal all the trauma, all the suffering, all the pain, all the heartache, we need to go back and value human life because at this time, we have devalued and deappreciated and disrespected human life. And that is the reason why we are suffering. No one is exempt from this suffering. We live in a world that's full of problems and trouble and pain and negativity and evil and wickedness. Not because people are innately bad, no. Because people have been programmed and conditioned to practice human objectification and commodification. People have become commodity. They have become things. So when a person is seen and treated as a thing, they're going to suffer because they're not going to be respected. They're not going to be loved. We're going to lack the self-discipline, the work ethics, the courage, the integrity, the respect, the justice, the truth, the love, the sympathy. We're not going to take responsibility. We're not going to have the charity, the faith, all the universal morality that we need to be able to have a healthy environment and to be able to restore humanity have been forgotten or diminished or depreciated. So we have to go back to the universal moral codes in order for us to end human suffering. It's something to think about because a lot of people think it's impossible. It cannot be done. It can be done. It can be done on an individual level. And from an individual level, it goes to the family. From the family, it goes, extend to the community. From the community, extends to the nation. From the nation, it extends to the world. Yes, universal moral codes can be implemented. It should be in every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives, we need to infuse universal morality. The education system, religious system, political system, business, every era, intimate relationships, every aspect of our lives, we need to incorporate universal morality in order for us to end human suffering. Thank you. Thank you.